You're listening to On Conflict with Julia Menard and Gordon White. Big ideas and big feelings. Let's go make the world a better place. And now, your hosts. Welcome to On Conflict Podcast, Riffcast. I'm Gordon White. And I'm Julia Menard. And we today are delighted to riff on the interview that we have done with Caroline Casey. Mm-hmm. And like every riff cast that Gordon and I do, you do not need to have listened to the interview person that we will be referencing. And at the same time, if you wanted to, that would be amazing. Here we go. So Gordon and I, uh, after we interview somebody, we spend a little bit of time reflecting on what we might have learned and some things that we think might be helpful for you to hear more about. And today's Rivcast, I wanted to start with why I was attracted to bringing Caroline Casey onto our show. She's certainly not a conflict professional or resolver doing conflict work in the world. But when, well, I oh, think sorry. she I think she is, but in a different way, right? I think she You're does right. consider herself as someone who works in conflict, but she doesn't call it. She's not a mediator. You're right. Or doesn't call herself a mediator. True, true. I think our field as a profession, the mediation field, can really narrow the possibilities for peace in the world. Because if it's supposed to happen just with a paid professional, that is really a sad state of affairs. I mean, when so many of us in our own ways, big and little ways, contribute to connection, peace, harmony, peace building. And what I'm going to add is not just for mediators, but for anyone who's dealing with conflict well, you were kind of expanding our field, right? Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I'm so now now that you've expanded, I'll speak to the expansion, which is that whoever we are, mediators or otherwise, there is some tendency, I think, to develop sort of um, uh, standard or maybe habitual ways of responding. Right. And sorry, habitual ways of responding to conflict, to conflict. Yeah. As a human being. As a human being. Yes, Mm -hmm. as a human being, Mm -hmm. whether Mm -hmm. professional or otherwise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So even though you're professional and you're supposed to have a wide palate, should we say, Mm -hmm. you still will tend to maybe fall into a rut, shall we say. (laughs) You know, that's possible. That's that's maybe an overstatement. But but, um, I think she's someone who really shows other ways of thinking about it, right? That's, That's what I really liked about her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk about some of those. And to add to that, it's the way that she uses language that is so, for me, mind altering in a sense. I mean, her language is so rich and metaphor. Incredibly metaphoric. She almost speaks in metaphors. Yeah. Yeah. And and that contribution to the conflict field is really important, I think. And, And it's not really something that we do that much of in our field intentionally in the conflict field. I think some mediators do. Some mediators value it. Okay. Oh, I think some mediators value things like metaphor. I mean, yes. Ben Hoffman, who's also been on our show, mm-hmm. is somebody who wrote a whole book, not about metaphor per se, but certainly about shamanism and the energetic realm. And and that was the other piece that attracted me to bringing her on the show was the fact that she she exists in this or explores in the imaginal and energetic realms. And I think I really welcome weaving 
those ideas into conflict ideas. And actually, there was a quote that I think you were saying Gord has been on the front of her website. Yeah, it's on her website right now. It introduces her solstice address from December 2018. 2018, yeah. Yeah. I just want to say it because I just love it. And that is metaphor and music are the incarnational garb whereby power enters the world. Metaphor and music are the incarnational garb whereby power enters the world. Mm -hmm. And to me, the suggestion there, one of them anyway, is that in conflict, we often feel disempowered. And so in feeling disempowered, I think she's suggesting that a metaphoric kind of response or a metaphoric way of thinking is a way to become more empowered in that dynamic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean power in the way of wanting to overpower the other person. I mean, power in the way of being able to introduce more collaborative engagement, I guess, with the other person, Mm -hmm. being able Mm -hmm. to shift it away from an adversarial into a more... Construct or constructive, you know, yeah, constructive. Po- yeah it's something a more positive mm-hmm. communication yeah. dynamic. Yeah, yeah. I, I also like the idea of the uh, power of music in conflict. And I was thinking, Gordon, you and I have done some work in Indigenous communities, and I was thinking of a story we'd heard recently about a leader walking through the village singing. And as he or she would sing, then people would come out of their homes and join the line of singers. And together, as the procession gathered and completed, they would then go and sit in circle. Mm -hmm. And And then deal with the problem. That's right. And so the person who starts the singing is the person who's calling the gathering, I guess, convening the process that she or he feels needs to occur. Yeah. And that reminds me, I'd I'd seen Jean Houston many years ago talk, and she spoke about when she worked with Margaret Mead, the anthropologist. I think she was, yes, she was an anthropologist, Mm -hmm. Margaret Mead. They would find these tribes in Africa who would resolve their conflict through dance. Mm -hmm. That was one of the first times that I had heard Mm -hmm. of the idea of art being able to engage us in conflict resolution in a different way. Mm-hmm. Sorry, it's one of the first times I I had ever heard of the idea of using art mm-hmm. as a way to engage in conflict mm-hmm. in a different way than, than what I was used to thinking about, mm-hmm. certainly being brought up and getting to yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the First Nations stories that really sticks with me in terms of conflict response was one told by a Maori leader at a conference, maybe in around 2000. And he said that his um, people, when they had a conflict, they would sit on the ground in a circle, I think around a fire or near fire, and they would talk about anything but the problem. Mm -hmm. And then, then they would get up and go about their business. And he said it was through the connection that they shifted their attitude to each other and to the difference. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. afterwards, corrected it through the behaviors that they then entered anew. Such a different way of thinking about it than what mm-hmm. we do, right? Mm-hmm. Very, we have a very direct we have culture. Very direct mm-hmm. approach mm-hmm. to conflict, mm-hmm. often anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 consistent with a low context culture. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'm going to do one more riff on your riff. Okay, and then which, we'll get to the spirals? <laughs> you will get, you'll get to your spirals. Okay. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Judge Barry Stewart. Yeah. Have you done any training with... Well, uh, I've been at places where he's talked and I've okay. talked to him. And, okay. Yeah. yeah, cool, cool. Yeah. For those of you who don't know who Barry Stewart is, he was a Yukon judge mm-hmm. and the first person to introduce restorative justice practices. I don't know, if, not, not across the country. Was he across the country? 
Gordon, you're grabbing a book. I am. I am. Ooh. Yeah, well, he was um, Good book. one of the places that circles emerged in Western culture was in the Yukon uh, mm-hmm. around him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. first started using it in sentencing, sentencing circles in First Nations communities and then right. spread the use of it. He and some other Right. Some others. Well, I'll just tell you can mention that book in a sec. Hey, but I just want to tell the story I heard Barry tell when I was sitting in circle with him one time. Wow. Gordon's pulling out these fascinating books. I'm getting slightly distracted. OK, focus. One story Barry told is when he was a young man, probably young lawyer, he had been in New Guinea and noticed the community had had a conflict and they got together similarly for days on end. But it was really there was no discussion, no direct discussion about the conflict. There were discussions about, do you remember when my auntie helped your grandmother? It was kind of like reconnecting connections. Mm -hmm. And then it did come up what the conflict was, the community conflict, but it was only near the end, maybe the mm-hmm. last, mm-hmm. I don't know how much time, but just speaking again about, in a way we're segueing into spirals because mm-hmm. the conversations go like spirals. They're not direct. Mm-hmm. And that, that actually speaks to um, circle methods of facilitating, right? That a lot of times you may not get to the issue until you've used up kind of a third or half the time that you're actually going to be together, right? Because the getting started getting acquainted, building process, starting to connect in a different way, maybe building the values for that conversation takes a lot of time. That's what enables people to resolve the difficult things, right? Mm -hmm. In that approach, for sure. Well, and what I was going to add to that is it's almost like we need, we need methodologies or technologies to connect. Mm. Once we can connect we can resolve mm-hmm. like the problem solving is mechanical, maybe left brain versus right mm-hmm. brain. Mm-hmm. But it's, it just seems that what I've seen as a mediator, it's when the people's hearts are reconnected or connected mm-hmm. that problem solving is not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Do you, it just reminds me of an experience we had yesterday. You and I. <laughs> you and I. That's right. <laughs> the yes. first yeah, the First Nations community we were, we were in. Right. Yes, yes. Do you remember that we had decisions to make? And most of those decisions were literally made in the last five minutes after a three and a half hour conversation. Well, if we add the first conversation yeah. and the second, yeah. that even added up to more time than that. Was yeah. it? Yeah. 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 It's amazing. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, it was almost five hours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. And it was highly productive, yeah. incredibly rich. Yeah. Did you want to mention your books before we well, shift to spirals? I, I did. Just because you mentioned Barry Stewart, I just wanted to say mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. he was the co- co-author of one of the best books on peacemaking circles, in case you're interested. Kay Pranis, Barry Stewart, and Mark Wedge wrote Peacemaking Circles from Crime to Community. Mm. And would you mind just also mentioning the other book? And the reason I want you to mention to listeners is because um, somebody I admire a lot, Sally Campbell, is kind of the one of the grandmothers of mediation in British Columbia. She loves this guy and she's talked about him before. And so when you pulled the book, I was curious myself. So it's called Returning to the Teachings by Rupert Ross. He also was a judge, but in Ontario who worked in the northern communities. Mm. And why did you pull it? What, what I pulled made it you by pull mistake. I was looking for the same, <laughs> same colors. Oops. Pulled yeah. it by mistake. Yeah. Oh, I'm fascinated. I want to look at that one too. Okay. All right. Spirals. Spirals, sir. Okay. One of the, Carolyn said many, many things and much of it, well, actually, as we say, almost all of it metaphorical or a large amount of it metaphorical. But one of the metaphors that really stands out to me is the notion of spiral and spiraling out of conflict, because metaphorically to me, it means, first of all, that there's movement 
And but that that movement is of a particular character. It's tangential to the way we might normally move, because when we're, we get into differences with someone and it becomes activated, we tend to respond in a fairly direct way to the energy that's coming at us. And what she's suggesting, another way to work with this is go sideways to it, go at a tangent. But And this tangential movement, though, is still highly assertive. So it's not at all passive. It's just moving in a different direction relative to the conflict. And I thought of four different kinds of examples that I think I might have picked up in the course of the call. And I'll just list them and then we'll kind of go in through our, them. In our interview? Yeah, in our interview. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So one is an unexpected truth. Another is mockery. A third is, in a way, thinking ahead of how the other person is going to respond to you. And the fourth would be describing what's happening on another level, another energetic level. Do you want to speak about those things? Yeah, sure. Okay. So the first one, the unexpected truth. The example she gave was being at a conference with some, it was kind of uh, economics conference, I think, or related to, I think so. And there were mm-hmm. there were people approaching her of, who she knew had a very different political view than her. Mm-hmm. And she knew that if she said, I'm a feminist, environmentalist, et cetera, et cetera, that they would have a reaction to her, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But she said something was completely truthful instead, mm-hmm. which was, I'm a what? Mythological astrologer speaking for the trickster in all of us, or right, something like right. that, here to report for my radio show, the something, yeah. something, Coyote right? News Coyote, or, yeah, Coyote News. Coyote yeah, News or something yeah. like that, right? Yeah. I said, oh, that's <laughs> that's interesting, yes, right? And yeah. then they had quite a good conversation. Yeah, yeah. So that you, you're <laughs> saying that that's an example of spiraling out of conflict and particularly using unexpected truths as a way to work with conflict, but shift it, change it. Right. Yeah? Yeah. Unexpected truths. Cool, cool. Yeah. Okay, and? Second Next. one would be mockery. Mockery. Mockery in okay. the example she gave there was the um, protest that was everyone knew was going to happen. And so the police were already apparently about a hundred of them, mm. quite a few of them were on bicycles, I guess. Mm. And this mm. person that she sort of has an affinity with as a trickster, he had a megaphone, I guess, and he was in the protester group. And so when the police started to move towards them, he got on the megaphone and he said, everyone, make sure you do it just as we rehearsed it. Which caused great confusion. Yeah. So some confusion. And, and, and a type of mockery. I yeah, suppose, that's right. right. And then as the, you know, and then he'd say, hey, you on the the bicycle on the right there, you're coming ahead of the pack. That was, we didn't rehearse it that way. Right? Yeah. I, you know, you're calling this mockery as I'm reflecting on it. I think it's almost like a lightheartedness because of the third example. Remember that she gave as well, where he, this trickster fellow had encouraged the protesters to shout out raises for the cops or whatever. Right? That's right. Yeah. Raises a raise for the, for the police, for, raise something the police. like that. Yeah. Raise for the police. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I guess mockery to me seems more hurtful somehow, but uh-huh. I don't think that that's what she meant, right? Yeah. It's like playful. playful. Well, I, yeah, and I, I guess I, I'm definitely not the authority on mockery, but I do relate it to the writer Robert Lifton who talked about using mockery to deal constructively with really serious human interaction problems, you know, uh-huh. so. Mockery. Yeah, you know, mockery seems mean to me. Doesn't? Well. I don't know. You have a different context for it, having looked, read the Robert Lifton work. Maybe. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Do you want to add anything to the definition of mockery? No, because I don't, I don't, I can't define it. I think, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> is that mocking me? No. No, okay. But yeah, there's something, there is something lighter about mockery. Yeah? For sure. Yeah. Making light of. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, so you you noticed some. Well, I think there is. You, we may disagree. On I know. That, I'm deciding to avoid. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm really interested in these different categories you noticed about yeah. how to spiral out of conflict. Perhaps we could try one of them now. Being ahead of another person. What, what's, what's being ahead was. Well, this is the these are the words I came up with to describe yeah. it. But yeah, it's yeah. it's a it's a sideways response. And it's one where you kind of know, you can predict where the conversation's probably going to go, right? Mm-hmm. So the person might say something that they expect to be inflammatory to you. Mm-hmm. And so rather than respond even empathetically, which would be kind of like a direct response, but it would be a non-defensive one, right? But her sideways response, what I call mm-hmm. sideways or mm-hmm. spiraling out of conflict mm-hmm. is to say something like, the dragon left a couple of hours ago. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's yeah. Com- unexpected, yeah. kind of out of context. But yet, when you hear it, you sort of get the meaning, right? You get hmm. the, the other person would could kind of get the meaning, hmm. right? Hmm. Which is, I'm not going to respond in that way. I think at some point she talked about having a list of potential ways that you could respond like that, hey? She might have, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So being ahead of another person is how you're calling that. That's what I'm calling it, yeah. Yeah. Being ahead so that you can make that. Sideways. I'm calling it a sideways response. That wasn't her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. I'm I'm loving this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool. Okay, and? What else uh, did you have? And then another one, which is in a, in a way maybe slightly more mundane and, and less developed in my thinking, which is just describing it on another level, you know, mm-hmm. and that, and she uses animal metaphors a lot, right? Mm-hmm. So it might be something like, oh, the tiger and the leopard gaze at each other warily, right? Uh-huh. Something like that. Yes, so you're, yeah. you're just sort of yeah. describing, yeah. but we teach people to describe what's happening. Yeah. As a way. Fact-based. Fact-based, right? Yeah. But this is, this is a imaginative, mm-hmm. metaphorical mm-hmm. description on another mm-hmm. level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You thinking of using some of these in your mediation practice? I don't know. I, I come across so many things that I think, oh, that would be great to yeah. use. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I yeah. don't know if I will, but. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll build on that idea yeah. of the spiraling out of conflict that caught your imagination. Yes. It caught mine as well. I, I heard Caroline talk quite a bit about Aikido. And she mentioned that she carries around the art of peace with her. Yeah? That's right. Did she say that in the interview? Yeah, yeah, she held it up, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I saw it, but I just yeah. can't remember if it was during the interview or not. But uh, that she carries it around with her when she travels. Yeah, yeah. that was neat. And what kept coming to me was a book that I had read in the 1990s by a man named Thomas Crum. He wrote a book called The Magic of Conflict, and it was popular amongst conflict-type people in the 90s. And this fellow, Thomas Crum's claim to fame was he was John Denver's bodyguard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he wrote this book, The Magic of Conflict. And it was the first time that, you know, coming out of having, I mentioned getting to yesterday already, but coming out of a particular way, a kind of almost left brain way of doing conflict to read the magic of conflict. And this Thomas Crumb was an Aikido master. So he would talk about coming at conflict, maybe not in a spiral way, but that when the energy would come at you, how you could take it and kind of move it around. And I'm moving my hands in a circular manner right now and move the energy back, not in a way that was pushing. But it, but if anybody's ever seen a keto or experience with a keto, there is that kind of circular uh, experience happening between people. And so uh, there was one story in particular from the book that uh, Gordon, I was mentioning to you off air and you remember 
remember hearing it as well. Mm-hmm. The first time I heard it was in this book, but a story about a drunk in the Japanese trains. And he was, this drunk was accelerating his, he was getting more and more angry. And he's a huge man, apparently, right? That's right. So even a little bit of lack of control is frightening for people around yes. him, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Thomas Crumb as an Aikido master was starting to think, okay, I'm going to have to intervene here. What am I going to do? whipping himself up. And then this little old Japanese man who had a his little old Japanese wife beside him, distracted, mm. kind of like, mm. uh, you know, something that we've heard Caroline talk yeah, about too, right. right? Like kind of distract, hey, hey, over here. Yeah. And the, the drunk comes over and he's like, what, you know, what do you want? And the little old Japanese man says, oh, sake, you know, what kind of sake are you drinking? Mm. And eventually start to fall into a conversation and he invites the drunk to sit beside the little old man. And eventually the story ends where this drunk has his head in the lap of the Japanese, the old Japanese man. And he's crying because his wife left him or died. Or, I mean, there's some heartbreaking Mm. story of pain that Mm. this man was actually going Mm. through. And Mm. that story was just so, you know, I'll use the word medicine for me. Mm. It's just like, Mm. oh, there's there's beauty in people's pain. And there's always a story, you know, Mm. of suffering. To me, that's actually another example of the spiraling out, right? Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. it was a sideways question, if you like, right? I didn't have a question in my list, but a sideways question. Because I think Mm -hmm. as I heard the story, it was, what have you been drinking? Right. Oh, that right. What have you been drinking? What yeah. have you been drinking? Yeah. Saki. Oh, yeah. my wife yeah. and I drank sake. Right. right. Yes. Yeah. 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 Right? Yeah. And, yeah. And it wasn't like, what have you been drinking? No. No. It's like, oh, what what, what have yeah. you been drinking? Yeah. That's right. What have you been enjoying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and there's just that level of pleasure. Yeah. Right. Just pleasure can be so disarming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. So that was spiral energy. We're what? looking at our list here of things we want to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Tyrants? Sure. Talk about that? Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, it's, it's a quote. I actually think this might have been her quoting someone else, and I apologize if that's the case and I don't have the person. But the quote is, tyrants don't care if they're hated as long as the people hate each other. Someone who's wanting to control a group benefits from conflict within that group. Mm-hmm. I guess it's the sort of mm-hmm. um, lesson to me or the sort of basic understanding of yeah. what that's about. Kind of creepily Machiavellian, actually. Mm. But, and it connects to another quote, actually, from one of the um, one of the talks that I think you and I watched a couple of addresses before her before meeting with Caroline Hay. Mm. But don't be conned into polarity. Mm. If you want for people to get nothing done convince them that they are in conflict or in polarity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and polarity would be the opposite of spiral, right? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, op- it's oppositional. Dynamics yeah, of, yeah, yeah, me against you and right. you and the enemy, uh, you know, you are the enemy. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to really confess this over the air, but lately I've been noticing a pattern when I'm upset about something. And, you know, it might not last very long. It could be a minute or two. But I do notice I go to the place of separating myself from the other and the other's wrong. The other's bad. Somehow the other is an enemy of a sort. Mm -hmm. And I'll notice it dissipate and then completely disappear when we reconnect Mm -hmm. in love or, you know, whatever it is. But there's a tendency. We have a reptilian brain that it's easy to, Mm -hmm. I don't want to say manipulate, but to get us into a place of, you're wrong, you're bad, you're mm-hmm. different than me. Mm-hmm. And when we're in that place, we're pretty closed down. We're not working together. Mm. 
So I could see that that would be something that could move masses. There was there anything more you wanted to say about it? You brought it up. Huh? No, I don't. Yeah, I mean, sure, there's lots to say about it, but I just don't happen to have, have it in my mind <laughs> right now. It just caught you. Yeah, it caught me in power. That was a powerful quote. Powerful yeah. quote. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Do you want to mention this quote too? That Yeah, this one um, certainly relates to my worldview, but it's expressed differently, <laughs> a little bit differently. <laughs> the <laughs> oppressor seeks the medicine of the oppressed. So, but if we recast that a little bit, the implication is that if you're finding yourself against a group or a person, maybe there's something they have there for your benefit, right? She used the example of um, the United States and the Middle East, suggesting that the U.S. would benefit from Middle East culture. And then that's indicated because of all the attention that American foreign policy has had on the Middle East for the last decades. And she talked about a Bedouin experience she had there, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you recall mm-hmm. that? Something about how the Bedouin oh, welcome. People? That's right. She yep. was there and mm-hmm. um, she was a stranger in a town with another mm-hmm. Westerner, but mm-hmm. who knew Bedouins. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, let's go meet some people. And mm-hmm. Carolyn said, well, we're the only, you know, wh- wh- they don't care about us. They don't know us. You know, why would this, why would they care? Right. Mm-hmm. And um, so I guess they went to a tent or something and knocked or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. And a woman came out and said, oh, strangers, come in, please. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So this is part of their tradition, apparently, where there's a tremendous, they feel a stranger is someone to learn from and to welcome. Mm-hmm. And then she related that to the sort of um, attitude to immigrants and refugees in the U.S. Mm-hmm. at the moment, mm-hmm. just suggesting there might be something to learn from that attitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think this quote can be taken to the interpersonal level, too. Mm-hmm. You know, the oppressor seeking the medicine of the oppressed. If there is somebody in our lives that we go to that place of separation with or emnification en- with, mm-hmm. the, is there something in what they stand for to me, to you, that represents a medicine in some way that I'm wanting or needing. Mm-hmm. It's quite a different way of thinking of conflict, mm-hmm. you know? It is, yeah. 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 And you might have to look for what that medicine is. It might not be very obvious, right? It's often, I'm sure it's not obvious yeah. or else we would go there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a different way of thinking. Another point that we picked up on uh, was Caroline had talked about internal dedication as a practice and I wanted to know more. And she spoke about that we are what we are dedicated to. And that reminded me of some concepts I've come across, certainly in Landmark, Mm -hmm. uh, which is one, Mm -hmm. this idea that what we are honoring, asking ourselves, what are we honoring with our word? What are we honoring with the attention that we are paying in a certain area? And and that fits really well with, um, I've got another quote from Caroline that fits with this thinking, she said, we worship what we spend our time on and we animate what we repetitively say. Language is one of the earliest technologies of intimate participation. So the more we expand our metaphors and our vocabulary, the more we have the freedom of many, many forms of intimate participation. And there's a sense of intimate participation with the world, with the animate world, with each other and with the world. And um, the idea of noticing what we are honoring, what we're dedicating ourselves to. It sounds like a beautiful practice. 
And she added this piece too, which was what um, asking ourselves what we asking ourselves what we want to feel like and what we might want others to feel like, and to ask ourselves that quite intentionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I actually heard that a little bit differently, or I may mm-hmm. have added or shifted a little bit because the meaning that I took from it that mm-hmm. I really mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. whether it's exactly what you said or not, mm-hmm. is that how do I want someone else to feel in my presence? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think about that? How you want other people to feel when they're in uh, your presence? I don't think so. I just think about trying, maybe trying to have a good effect or trying to feel like I'm honoring myself or being true to myself. But yeah. I don't think I really put myself in someone else's shoes very often and mm-hmm. think, what's it like to be around me right now? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, really consciously in a thorough way. Yeah. I, I don't think I do. Yeah. How about right this minute? No. No? I'm think- th- no, yeah. I'm thinking about... How can we make this a, you know, useful interview for the people who are listening? So I'm not really, you are thinking actually about listeners then though. Yeah. I'm thinking about listeners. That's yeah. right. But I'm yeah. not thinking about how, what I'm, what it's like for you to be well, with well, me. No, I, I would imagine it could apply to listeners though. Like are you, you're thinking about what it might be like for whoever is listening right in this moment. Yes. How much are you thinking about that? Uh, I don't know. I think it's just sort of there in the background. Is it? I think so. Yeah. You're a better person than I am. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've concluded that a while ago, but I'm I'm not. I should be. I mean, in this very second I am. And I think maybe your imagination is better than mine as well, though. I don't know about that. No, because I mean, I can kind of catch a glimpse. Somebody in this very second in some parallel universe is listening to this. Because really, in reality, nobody's listening to this in this second. Because we're recording. Yeah, we are. And there's a different... Oh, is that what we're doing? <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay, I'm smarter than you, even though you're a better person than me. That's where we're recording, Gordon. Oh, yeah. is that what this thing is on that's, the screen? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's okay. what it is. Anyway, I know we're kind of got a little bit esoteric there. And I think just cycling it back, though, to think about what we might want others to feel. Mm-hmm. Okay, in this moment, let's play. So mm-hmm. what would you want... This person who's listening in this second, tomorrow, Mm. next week, what do you want them to feel in this moment? Mm. Yeah. And can I take another step? Yes. Because this relates to the passing of my favorite poet, Mary Oliver. Mary Oliver. Who died in the last couple of days, I guess. Yeah. 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 Well, we're timing when this was, but that's okay. Oh, that's right. That's okay. Don't worry about that. Okay. Yeah. Um, Jonathan can decide our wonderful idea. What was I talking about? (laughs) But I know it's something to do with Mary Oliver, but... You said, uh, you said, can I take this further when I said, what do you want others to feel? Oh, right. Because Carolyn yeah. said, and a big question around your Caroline, life is, yeah. Caroline, yeah. yes, that's right. Well, it was kind of the question of how you want to be remembered, right? But it, but it was in the different, the other form. It was, how do you want people to feel when they think about you after you've passed? Whoa. And then Mary, isn't what Mary Oliver yeah. wanted people to feel I know, about I know. her is right there. Yeah, yeah. And I want to read it. Okay, do. But, well, I was thinking right at the end, though. Is that okay? Yeah, it is. Okay, you're going to have to wait. So I looked at the microphone and said, you're going to have to wait. <laughs> so can we come back, though? What do you want people to feel? Me? Not, not when you're dead. Yeah, now, like the listener, the person. There's like, people can only listen one at a time, I think. Really? <laughs> I don't know. No. I'm just thinking we're speaking to one person right this minute, whoever's listening. What do you want that person to feel when they're listening to this show? Interested. Interested. Yeah, interest is an emotion in some typologies. 
I know you look interested. You're thinking cognitive. That's not a feeling. No. Okay. So hang on just a second. <laughs> you want them to be stimulated mentally? And did you say something about emotions? I, I, that's what I just said. Interest is an emotion in some typologies. I just didn't understand what you had said. Interest yeah. is, I can't even repeat what you just said, but I know typology was in the sentence. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, okay. Um, I don't know. You're, you're putting me on the spot. I can see that. <laughs> I'll is, answer it too. Yeah. I don't mind. Okay. You go first then. Oh, okay. Well, I think you sort of went, but you can circle back. So I don't know. I have no idea. And I am an extrovert. So I kind of blurred out whatever. So um, do I want some, this one person who's listening right now to feel, well, I'll imagine some of the people that have said that they've been listening. I would like somebody to feel joy. That's the very first thing. Joy, hmm. connection, hmm. hope, joy, connection, and hope that around this topic, around this topic of a very heavy topic of conflict, very heavy topic of disconnection that I think we all can get into when we're in conflict that, yeah, joy, connection, hope. Hmm. That makes me feel good. I hope that somebody listening feels that. So I have two responses. Mm -hmm. One is, you're a better person than me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. Well, we have to hear what you want people to feel. Uh, The other thing Uh is, this is metaphorical. Mm -hmm. I just, I I imagine that a listener has in their vision or they're thinking about the future, Mm -hmm. that maybe this, listening to this podcast is kind of shining a wedge of light sort of forward so that in the vision of where they're going, that that piece could be illuminated a little bit and they would be able to deal with that future possibility a little better from what they're hearing. Wow. Does that make any sense? Yeah. If we're in a competition, though, I think I've lost again. Uh, That was great. We're not in a competition, of course. We're in a win-win podcast. No, we are in a competition. Are we? Yeah, a little bit. What is it? For the love of the listener? Uh, no, it's just that, yeah, well, I'm taking, I'm, I'm reaching back to Bernie Mayer from the fall, right? And his idea, which I've kind of embraced, which Mm. is that you can't really take competition out of collaboration. There's always a little bit of it in there. Mm. And, Mm. um, Mm. Yeah, cause mm. I'm talking about now when I'm talking about collaboration, I'm talking about the, I'm talking about the mix, the appropriate and best mix of collaboration and competition. Wow. Yeah. I love that because when you said that, what occurred yeah. to me is yeah. I do feel competition with you sometimes and it, in a positive way. That's right. Well, competition doesn't always have to be negative. Right? No. It can be both. Well, it, it's Coercion me, is negative, right? Manipu- manipulation yeah. is generally negative, yeah. right? Yeah. But competition, no, it can have. It's great in one way because yeah. it raises the bar. Yeah. It makes me want to reach higher. Yeah. Cool. Mm. All right. Okay. Um, anything else you want to mention before we do the Mary Oliver poem? Caroline, you know, if you listen to her wonderful language, I just want to say that about her. Actually, she has Mm -hmm. wonderful language Mm -hmm. use Mm -hmm. in a world where the quality of English, I think, has gone down a little bit. Right. Just a bit. bit. And online correspondence is probably not a great forum for developing the sophistication of your language skills Mm -hmm. so far. Anyway, Mm -hmm. I mentioned in the interview that I heard someone interviewed on Bill Richardson's CBC old show called Sad Goat. It was a, an author who had written a book based on the interviews she or he did with people who were over 100 years old living at home. <laughs> and one of the things he noticed and said about his research was that how much more um, eloquent speakers they were. And so I, I think it's kind of an, a unique piece of research in that sense of being able to compare the present to 100 years ago and mm-hmm. what an English speaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, 
Oh, sorry. Yeah, I don't know what my point is. Or what well, I think I your point keep... is, no, it's great yeah, because yeah. I think you, you were saying, you were commenting on Caroline. Caroline's oh, yeah, her capacity. Language. That's right. Her yeah, language. Her richness. Her, yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and cause, cause you're just pointing at a piece of paper yeah. here at us at a quote and we're yeah. sort of nodding. We're doing our sign language here. Should we include this yeah. one or not? Yes. And, yeah. uh, yeah. that yeah. was my preamble to saying, yeah, let's include it. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. Okay. So we'll do this as yeah. the last quote and then we'll read the Mary Oliver poem. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so we could have quoted Caroline all day and we won't. So this is the last one that we're going to say that jumped out at us. Do you want to read it? And then I'll read. Sure. Mary Oliver? Yeah. Uh, we're ragdolls made out of many ages and skins. Our identity is a dream. We are a process, not a reality. For reality is an illusion of daylight, the daylight of our particular day. <sighs> so we're going to read this one particular poem by Mary Oliver, and there's a couple of reasons for it. Uh, Caroline did make a reference to the line from this poem about a bride being a bride married to amazement. So that was a reference she made. Yeah, and the reference was... Uh, I don't know where it came from, but her understanding is that Mary Oliver wants to be remembered as a bride married to amazement. Mm, yeah, yeah. And and I want to make a, an internal and external dedication to anybody who has lost somebody that they've loved to invite them to remember their loved one as we offer this poem. I had said to Caroline that I had lost my mother just a couple of days ago. Mm. And she said, this was off the air. And she said, because Mary Oliver had also has also died recently. She said, well, maybe your mother and Mary Oliver are having tea together. <laughs> so I'm feeling um, a particularly special connection to Mary Oliver because of Caroline. And so this is the offering for all of us. Mary Oliver's A Bride Married to Amazement. The poem is called When Death Comes. When death comes like the hungry bear in autumn, when death comes and takes all the bright coins from his purse, to buy me and snaps the purse shut, when death comes like the measles pox, when death comes like an iceberg between the shoulder blades, I want to step through the door full of curiosity, wondering, what is it going to be like, that cottage of darkness? And therefore, I look upon everything as a brotherhood and a sisterhood. And I look upon time as no more than an idea. And I consider eternity as another possibility. And I think of each life as a flower, as common as a field daisy and as singular. And each name, a comfortable music in the mouth, tending as all music does toward silence. And each body, a lion of courage and something precious to the earth. When it's over, I want to say, all my life I was a bride, married to amazement. I was the bridegroom, taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I have made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. If you love this episode of On Conflict, then help us out by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. And you can spread these big ideas too by sharing on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you show up online. Want to know more about us? Check out our website, onconflictpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening. Now, 
Go make the world a better place.